0: Are there really angels and demons? Is there a real person known as the devil? Is there something deeper? Is there an unseen battle waging for the souls of this blue planet? If so, then how do we respond? In this series, Pastor Ronnie answers those questions and more as we look at what the Bible says about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today.
1: Ephesians 6. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, then that whenever I speak, words may be given me given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am a and ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Well, welcome to uh, week two of
0: the Invisible War. Last week we discussed who the devil was, who he is. We talked about where he came from. He's not Jesus' brother. He's not co-equal with Jesus with the same power. He doesn't have the same authority. He is not omniscient, omnipresent. He is the prince of this world. He was a created being, as we learned last week. And if you weren't here, you didn't listen to, you need to check out the podcast from last week. Ezekiel 28 tells us exactly who he was. And so today we've worshipped together. And thank you so much for being here today. We've got to make much of the name of Jesus. But the rest of our service is devoted to unpacking this book. We are people of this book and this book alone. It's 66 books. It's written by 40 different authors. It was written over a few centuries. It was written on three different continents. And it was written in three different languages. And yet, somehow, because it's divinely inspired, I'll ruin it for you. Plot twist. It points all to Jesus. Of Nazareth, who was the Christ, who was prophesied, which means his life was foretold hundreds of years before he ever shows up on the scene. The Old Testament, which we unpacked last week, we unpacked Ezekiel 28, was written and translated into the common man's language 300 years before Jesus shows up and fulfills everything. So when I teach from this book... I teach with authority, not because of me, but because of what lies in this book. And so when we unpack Scripture, today we're going to unpack one Scripture. Johnny very eloquently read ten Scriptures to us earlier this morning. And we're unpacking those ten over the next few weeks. Today we're going to look at one Scripture. And we're going to unpack one Scripture together. But how we unpack Scripture at Audacity is using other Scripture in this book. So turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. And why don't you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word? And we're going to unpack. I'm just going to read 10 verses. I hope you have your Bible with you. If you don't, uh, bring it next week. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, chapter 3. I lied to you. Man, I'm starting off bad, Ronnie. You're lying to people in church. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? If you have a pen, you should underline that in your Bible. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat any of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the fruit that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her. He was standing there. He was with her. He was with her. Eve gets all the Blame. Adam deserves all the blame. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked can be good. This just happens to be in one of the circumstances where it's not. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And we, like our first parents, are still hiding from God. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, he said, who told you you were naked? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. <laughs> we thank you for your son Jesus who came to this earth and as a perfect man. And he laid down his life so that we could be seen as righteous in your eyes. If we accept your salvation that's only offered to the blood of your son. Father, I pray that you would move today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way with our hearts. That the word that's going to be spoken today would fall on good soil. Father, I thank you for the anointing that's on my life. I pray that I would preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I ask all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. You can be seated. I was in the fifth grade. The fifth grade... And uh, I was, uh, for some, we lived a few blocks from the school, and I was coming home late from school. I would really like to think that it was because I was playing basketball or kickball, but more than likely it was detention. Um, Wouldn't any of y'all have been in detention? Detention was my favorite after-school program. Some of you guys rushed home to watch LeVar Burton's Reading Rainbow. Uh, I just hung out in whatever school I was at for another whole period, Uh, because I like to study. I was studious, and I was just trying to get extra class time. Okay, so that's a lie. I was probably in detention, and I'm coming home. And we're, we live a few blocks from this school, and, and I'm looking down the street, and I can see a bigger kid beating up on a littler kid. And then I noticed that the little kid had, like, bleach blonde hair. Now, in our hood, there was only three bleach blonde-headed kids. Me? My sister and my little brother. When I realized that my brother is getting it handed to him, I just start running. I've never been in a fight in my life, but I saw my brother in trouble. Now, my brother tells this story so much cooler than I do. It's very like WWE, you know. Uh, But let's just say I took this kid. Once I got down there, I realized he was older than I was. And he was in the sixth grade and one of the cool kids at school. And I just let him meet our neighbor's uh, garage door over and over again. We were doing a durability test. um, And I was just showing him that he shouldn't beat up my little brother. Gang, I didn't go looking for the fight. The fight came to me that day. I'm, I'm really not naturally. I'm a fighter. I'm a lover. Ask Ashley. Um, y'all have 10 kids, right? Is that right? Um, and I, uh, um, if you would like to fight later, let me just tell you my strength in case you want to just go ahead and put this in, in, as a side note. I can take a whooping. You will get tired. That's a promise. And then that's when I'll finish you off. That's all I got going for me. No tactics. I was 19 years old, and we were hanging out. I was in a, a place I shouldn't be. And uh, me and a group of buddies decided that we were to start a fight, and uh, we got in a fight. And uh, uh, we, f- we found out through their smack talking that they wrestled for Oklahoma State. I've never been scared of a wrestler my whole life. And it uh, when we get on the ground, I'm not going to play fair. And uh, I'm sure those guys still tell the story about the kids in high school that beat them up. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I tell you that to say um, most of them were losses. Most of the time I got into a tuffle, it really got my butt handed to me. In this one instance, I didn't, but this one instance was my first fight. In this one instance, I didn't go looking for a fight. The fight came to me, and I dare say, men, the fight's already came to you. And you can choose to ignore the fight that's at your front door, or you can do something about it. I said it last week, and it was so good, I'm going to say it again. Do not think for a second that if you don't fight, you won't have to. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. In the art of war, there's a quote. I'm going to start with that. You're like, is that in the Bible? No, it's a separate book. So it is said that if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you can win a hundred battles without a single loss. If you know yourself, but you know not your opponent, you may win or you may lose. If you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will always endanger yourself. I'm going to teach you about your enemy today. I taught you who he was last week. This week, I'm going to tell you he has three tactics We're going to look at the tactics of the devil, and then we're going to look at how we overcome those tactics. Johnny read verses 10 and 11 of Ephesians 6, and it says this, Finally be strong in the Lord, and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes, or what I'm going to call the tactics of the devil. When Jesus is talking about the devil to religious folk, this is what he said. He said, you're like, your, you're like your dad, your father, the devil. He's been a liar since the beginning. And that's out of John chapter 8. 500 years before Christ shows up to this wonderful planet, there is a military general named Sun, Z, Sun Tzu, Sun whatever. He wrote a book called The Art of War. And in the art of war, he has about 13 to 15 different battle tactics in order to overcome your adversary. For millennial, (laughs) Lucifer, Satan, the fallen angel, has used three. He didn't need 13. And he's been perfecting them over the centuries. There's a few different interactions that we could pull from, from him. And where he has shown how he works and operates in the Bible. We're only going to look at two today. We're going to look at the one that we just read together in Genesis chapter 3. And know that he has been powerfully, powerfully persuading people. If I could tell you how the devil has tried to distract, delude, water down and distract us from giving you this series. Bringing this series to the church. The list is long. And quite frankly it's been painful. But I know how important it is. I know how important it is for you to listen to this over and over again. But God's faithfulness has been such an encouragement to our family. And God's pulled off some of the biggest miracles over the last week that we didn't even see coming. He's just been so faithful, even in the midst of everything else that's been going on. The Art of War also says this, and it should be on the screen behind you. Fine, behind me, behind you. That would be awkward. People. should not be unfamiliar with strategy. Those who understand it will survive, and those who don't understand it will perish. So if you want to know how to overcome the adversary's tactics, I'm about to show you. There is three. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11... Paul calls the adversary an angel of light. Says he transforms himself into an angel of light. I wish I could give you throughout history accounts where the adversary, the devil, has transformed himself into an angel of light to give people false messages, false hope. I studied this and it is crazy. And people think they're following Jesus and they're following Satan himself. Scares a lot of things out of me. I've read quite a bit about how people say that the devil is an archaic thought and that really since postmodernism we really don't need to think that way especially most most people that debate this online call it post darwinism since darwin this discussion is no longer needs to happen and i would tell you that as we looked at last week that's one of his primary ways that he influences people to convince us that he does not exist do you know that's only really a perception in the Western world? Christianity is growing at record amounts all across everywhere but the Western world. It's crazy. It's the most diverse religion in the world. And it is still growing. I want to give you three tactics. Everybody say three tactics. Three tactics. I was really weak. I hope you do better on point number two or I'll just leave. Number one. Is he does this. He questions the word of God. Everybody repeat that. He questions the word of God. Well, how does he do that? I'm glad you asked. In Genesis chapter 3, when he's dealing with Eve, he said this. Did God actually say? And he's still doing that to you. And he's still doing that to me today. Can you really believe that? Are you really a son? Are you really a daughter Of God, Do you risk faith really what you need? He gets us to question the word of God and people start questioning the authorship. They start questioning whether or not the word of God is true. They start questioning whether or not it is applicable 2,000 years later. And people all over are questioning the word of God. But I want you to also see something else because the church, and I'm going to preach against us just for a minute. In verse (coughs) 3... This is Eve talking. She says this. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Let me explain this to you. Neither shall you touch it. She added those words. That's not what God said. That's what the church has done a lot. Is we've gotten in the way of the Holy Spirit moving by adding to the word of God. We've started to say stuff that the Bible doesn't say. Let me give you one example. People say you should not drink. That's what they say. And they actually quote Jesus when they say this. Now, listen, if you have a problem with alcohol, you shouldn't drink. You're a moron if you do. Matter of fact, if you have to drink to get a buzz or to have a few, you shouldn't drink. You're a moron. Put that in your pipe. Inhale really heavily. It's truth. But the Bible never says that. And if you go back just a few verses later, God did not tell Adam that he couldn't touch the tree. He said not to eat of the tree. So Adam either failed as a leader and failed as a husband because he said, Listen, God said, not only should we not eat it, but we shouldn't touch it. So Eve misinterpreted it. And that's what the church does. And the church is just as guilty of making us question and twist the words of God as Satan himself. We have to be really cautious. I labor over the word of God so that whenever I stand before you, I'm comfortable knowing what this book says. I labor over it in love because it's important that I don't misguide and misdirect this church. Guys, don't add to the word of God. You don't need to. Don't take away from the Word of God because it's not socially acceptable in this century. You don't need to. Stand firm on what the Word of God says. He gets us to question the Word of God. Is that really what God said? Does the Bible really mean that or does it mean something else? Is it really relevant today? It's an archaic old book we slowly begin to question and add to the Word of God. Number two, how the adversary operates is he challenges the will of God. Everybody say, challenges the will of God. Challenges the will of God. Man, that speaks right to my heart. That's pride, messing with your head. That's what it does. And this is how he does it in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Man, the adversary is good here. i got to give him some props. He gives you power, authority, influence. It speaks so closely and so clearly to our hearts, this desire to be in control. It speaks right directly to our ego. There are three great idols that he always puts out in front of us, and they are sex, money, and power. We distort sex. We say it's how we do it. We can do whatever we want to do. We can can live however we want to live. Money. It's the same way. Just keep chasing it. Man, the next promotion, you'll spend more time with your family. The next thing, the next thing. You'll give more win and power and influence. And we've exchanged the sanctity of a covenant marriage, and we've distorted it into our own selfish purposes. That's why porn is so prevalent. That's why the divorce rate is what it is, because we've taken something that's beautiful, and we've decided to challenge what God said about it, and we would do whatever we wanted to do anyway. We are tempted to believe, really, when it comes down to it, that God is holding something back from us. That's what we wrestle with. Man, but this is what I want. This is the desire of my heart. He tells us you can be like God, you can be in control. He never, He never tells you the consequences of those actions, He shows you. The momentary pleasure and satisfaction. It's like we're fish. And we see the bait. And Satan shows you the bait. But he doesn't show you the hook inside the bait. And he gets you to question the will of God. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. We start to question what God has said for our lives. Tactic number three. Is he misuses the creation of God? Everybody, read that. He. Guys, we're better on number two, but that's okay. We are tempted to believe that something else will be more fulfilling, and something else will be better. In Genesis chapter three, so when the woman saw the tree was good and saw that it was a delight to the eye. So pleasant to the eye. The Bible says in Hebrews, I believe that sin is always fun for a season. The momentary satisfaction is fun, the consequences of our actions are not. The adversary paints a picture of glitz and glamour. Immediate satisfaction, our immediate impulses, the attractive trinkets of this world, never the pain, never the consequences. He gives a half-truth, never the full truth, and he masquerades as an angel of light, and he hides the implications of what will happen, and he only shows us the self-gratification, immediate fulfillment of a fleshy impulse. We delve into self-sins, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and I could go on and on. We misuse the creation of God when we make it all about us. There's a fear of biblical accountability. There's a fear in the church of transparency and intimacy. There's a fear of walking In humility. There's a fear of walking in obedience. And all of it causes a fractured relationship with God. It points you to being a pawn. That's it. I once heard it worded this way. You are either the prized possession of the creator of the universe. Or you are a pawn of the adversary. The devil as I told you last week, fears you. And he should. The devil has seen over the millennial when men and women who are walking in an unconditional commitment to God, submitting to the King Jesus, and walking in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, he has seen people that have loved God, served others, and went to make disciples, and he's afraid of their potential. He would rather you misuse the creation of God. He would rather you live your life for yourself than continuing to live for the kingdom of heaven. He fears you. That's why he attacks you. That's why he gives you these three things to take your mind. He gets you to question the word of God. He gets you to question the will of God. He gets you to misuse the creation of God. All to pull you further from God. Did you see And I don't know how long it was. It says that God walked with them in the cool of the day. God and them interacting perfectly. And now they're hiding. And when we fall into these temptations, we begin to hide. We hide. That's what we do instead of being close to God we question his word instead of being close to God we question what he allows in our life instead of being close to God we twist we train we we mess with and we misuse his creation for our own purposes and for our own selfish nature how do we overcome the tactics of the enemy now millennial later Jesus shows up on the scene we looked in the first book of the bible book of Genesis. So we're going to look in the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to look at what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. Everybody say led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into what? Into temptation. Hmm. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Imagine that. I'm fast for like a day, and I'm ready to eat like cardboard. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on a pinnacle to tempt him. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down here, for it is written, He will command angels concerning you. Do you see that he even uses Scripture out of context to give a temptation? Oh, I wonder. Oh. Uh, Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you. If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, get out of here, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone who you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let me just explain this to you. Jesus' approach to this temptation isn't like some special magic trick because, oh, well, you know, Jesus was the Son of God, so it was really easy for him. What Jesus is doing is he's modeling how our first parents, Adam and Eve, should have overcome temptation. So Jesus gives us the pattern that you and I need to apply to our lives for the exact same three temptations. The adversary's tactics are the same. With the exception of the book of Job, and I don't have time to unpack that today. We kind of get a peek behind the curtain in the first chapter of Job. But the uh, the interactions that we're looking at is the book of Genesis chapter 1, 3, and then Matthew chapter 1 and we see the same three tactics but then we see the perfect son of god Jesus the messiah we see him overcoming the exact same tactics of the adversary and i'm going to show you how number 1 he questioned the word of god he spoke right to the yearning of the flesh he says this turn these stones to bread not a big deal Jesus right he he could have he could have done that and Jesus' response, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of What did he do? He quoted scripture. It is written. Say that with me. It is written. The second thing, he challenges the will of God. He comes to Jesus. He speaks right to the pride of his heart. And he says this, throw yourself down. You know, you got this. You're the Messiah. No big deal. Jump. Jesus says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I believe if Jesus would have jumped off that pinnacle, angels would have rescued him. But he wasn't putting God to the test. He was only living in perfect obedience to the will of God. The same temptation. Jesus responds to it with, It is written, everybody say it with me. It is written. And the third, same thing. He comes to Jesus and he says he's going to misuse the creation of God. He appeals to the lust of the eyes of Jesus and he says this, Fall down and worship me and I will give you the world. Well, that's weird. Do you mean that Satan is the ruler of this world? Yes, the Bible calls him the prince of the air. The Bible, we talked about this last week, we know who he is. We also know that another angel, not Jesus, because Jesus is still at the right hand of the throne of God, actually grabs the adversary and throws him into, um, he restrains him for a thousand years. Jesus doesn't even need to go and do the dirty work because he's not on the same level with him. And Jesus knows that even though the temptation is real, he's not going to give in to the lust of his eyes, the lust of power, the lust of self. He says, it is written. So in closing, I didn't give myself a lot of time, but that's going to force me to be concise, so you're welcome. The next two weeks, we're going to unpack the spiritual armor. That's where we're going to land for the next two weeks, and we're just going to unpack it and delve in exactly what God wants us to learn and how we are to apply this to our lives. There's two tactics that I see here that Jesus used. And I'm just going to share these two with you. Yes, he used it is written, and we'll get to that secondly. But the first tactic I really want to believe that Jesus used here is he knew his identity. The way that you are going to overcome temptation, the way that you're going to overcome the self-sins is to know your identity. In the art of war it says this, if you know the enemy, and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. And if you know who you are in Christ, and you don't have to worry about what you face. Last night, it was three o'clock in the morning, and I'm, I don't want to wake my wife up to have her take me to the minor emergency room. That's what I started saying over myself. I said God you've called me to this I, I, I don't know what is going on I'm trying to fight and live well I haven't slept and I kept saying I'm a child of God I'm a co-heir with Christ so even if I have a brain aneurysm and I was trying to remember last night with this headache how much insurance money I had I'm not even making this up I really <laughs> thought I was going to die and all I could do was pray Say, God, you're not going to let me walk through anything that doesn't make me more like your son, Jesus. So if this is making me more like Jesus, bring it on. Roll the dice, punk. If you know who you are, you know who the adversary is, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. Jesus knew who he was. Remember we, we read, he was led by the Spirit. And you, my friend... The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The reason that Jesus isn't here, which would be so much cooler, I get it, is so that the Holy Spirit could be. That's why he's not here. He's entrusting you and I will know who our identity is and allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of the glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that which is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, whether the temptation is to question the Word of God, whether the temptation that you're walking through is to question the will of God, or whether the temptation is to misuse the beautiful and magnificent creation of God. If you know who you are and you know that the knowledge of Christ in your heart surpasses anything else that you can see, you can walk confidently in the identity that you are a son and you are a daughter of the creator of the universe. Would you hold your head high? Would you invite into your life whatever may make you more like Jesus? Will you not lose faith when it doesn't go the way you thought it would? Or the way you think it should? Will you know you who you are? Will you sing I am a child of God? I'm not gonna be afraid of anything. Will you get that on the inside of you? You are co-heirs with Christ, which means you have the same rights, privileges, and responsibilities. Will you live that way? John chapter one it says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, whom were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, but of the will of man. Know who you are. And we can know the tactics of our adversary. We know that he's going to twist the word of God. We know he's going to challenge the will of God. We know he's going to tempt us to misuse the creation of God. That's his game. He's good at it. He sees how you're bent. He knows all my bends. He knows my obsessive-compulsive nature. He knows that I have like, a very addictive personality. Like, people are like, how do you read like five books a month? I, I, it's because like once I start it, I have to finish it. It's not because I'm some super spiritual person. It's a flaw. It's a part of my obsessive-compulsiveness. And he uses other things and tempts me to be distracted. And he tempts me to put something, another habit in my life that's unhealthy. And sometimes I fall and sometimes I allow that stuff to happen. In the Art of War it says this, Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Let me tell you this for many Christians, the Bible is the strategy. But until you implement the Word of God to your life, it doesn't become a tactic. So the Bible is the strategy. We know the strategy, but until we take the Bible, apply it to our lives, and live it out, it doesn't become a tactic. The only way that you are going to be able to live that way is if you know the Word of God so well that when temptation comes, you can say those words that Jesus says, it is written. Second Timothy, speaking of the word of God, all scriptures God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, for the man may be complete, equipped for every good work. Ephesians 6.10. I'm going to close. Finally, be strong in the Lord. How are you strong in the Lord? Yeah, the armor's cool. We'll get to that. It's kind of neat, but you know, none of the armor depends on you. So, you still have to come back next week. But none of it does. It all points to us putting on Christ. And I can't wait to unpack that for you. But I want you to see that how you are strong in the Lord is when you know your identity and you know His voice. I'm in the park yesterday, and all my kids are with me, and Kenyon and I are hanging out. And uh, I need to get my kids' attention. Do you know what I do? I whistle. And they are like meerkats. They, they, They know my whistle. We've been to a lot of parks together. And they know whenever that's the warning of, hey, we're about to roll out of here. The only reason they know my whistle is because they spend time with me. The only way you'll know the voice of God so that you can say it is written is whenever you spend time with him. Be strong in the Lord. Strong in the power of his might. It ain't your might. There's a lot of times we, especially men, we're so chauvinistic, it's disgusting. We try to live on our own strength and he never told us to. He never asked us to live by our own strength. He told us to live by his strength. Guess what? You're not strong enough. Good news, I don't have to be. I don't. He's strong enough. The only way that we can overcome the schemes... The tactics is to put on the whole armor of God. And before we can put on the whole armor of God, we need to know the word of God. And we need to know our identity in God. It is the living word of God that is the present voice of God for you and I to discover the will of God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.